Jesus, it's packed. Yeah, go down the back there, so. Welcome to the Snog with Richie and Lavin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Snug Podcast, uh, a podcast from the West Coast of Ireland where we interview interesting people about their lives, passions, and side hustles and everything in between. My name is Richard Loftus. I'm Lavin. How you doing? Not too bad. How are you? Great. We're in a restaurant for the first time. Yeah, we're here on uh, an air on Dominic Street in Galway. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's nice to get, a, get out of Canvera for <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> yeah, every now and again, anyway. Yeah. We're um, today. We've been invited here by uh, JP McMahon, Doctor JP McMahon. Sorry, um, chef, restaurateur, uh, writer, uh, to name just a few things. Um, thanks for having us, JP. Thank you very much. Yeah, and uh, Sam as well. Sam and the Sam. dog is jumping around. <laughs> Great. What kind of dog is he actually? He is a collie setter. Yeah. He gets mistaken for an expensive dog, but okay, he yeah, came from Donegal and he was free. <laughs> uh, I always get asked how much money I spent on him. Yeah. So no, he's uh, he gets mistaken for doodles and um, all sorts of uh, all sorts of other things, you know. Yeah. He's gorgeous though. Boisterous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's very uh, very gentle. Yeah. Um, congratulations on an order. You were just uh, named. I know. I know. Business person. It caught, of it caught the me year. by surprise as well. I don't yeah, normally. Yeah. Uh, what now? I don't normally consider myself a, a business person. I'm uh, more in in the in the kitchen doing things. But um, I suppose it's a it's a byproduct of making food. You have yeah. to uh, you have to get into business. Um, but uh, no, it was. I think it was nice to be recognised. Um, I think for me, food is important, and it often it often gets overlooked in Ireland. I think because of very many things. Um, I think we've uh, uh, still we have the kind of uh, traumatic issues related to the famine or colonization, and so I think food is is still um, sometimes it's hard to accept as a cultural thing. Like we're really great at sport and. Uh, um, theatre and arts and all those things and sometimes I think we, we don't sing enough about food whereas, and we have really really good food yeah. in Ireland so it's it's just nice to uh, to get recognition for that yeah and that was kind of the ethos behind say your book and say food on the edge as well is just kind of shine a light more on uh, Irish cuisine and Irish producers yeah absolutely um, we started food on the edge in 2015 and the whole idea behind that was that I was traveling around to other countries looking at their food and mm. they were saying, this is great. And I was thinking, should we have this back in Ireland? And yeah. so why don't we invite people over to see it and taste it and engage with it? And um, and yeah, it's been it's been going since. And I think we've had about 50 speakers a year uh, come over to Ireland oh, wow. um, since 2015. We missed one year because of COVID. So it's in the hundreds of people that we've introduced Ireland, Irish food, the landscape, we always throw music in there yeah. and culture. Um, and um, it's, it's to try and put, f- put food in a, a really broad framework where we're not isolating it. Like I think like f- food and music for me is really a relevant combination where people th- don't think, oh sure, well, what has food got to do with music? But I mean, every time people go to a music festival, they eat and often like the food is not great. And I always think like, why aren't we connecting these things more? And mm. like we have great musicians and why don't we combine them with great food? Uh, and whether that's a burger van or a coffee or yeah. a 
croissant or someone making flapjacks. It doesn't matter. It's not always about fine dining and Michelin star meals. I mm-hmm. think it's about a community and a culture getting behind food and then connecting it with other activities that we're really good at. Even with the, the book, the Irish cookbook, um, you went right back um, through kind of Irish tradition, even back to, say, what um, peasant folk and stuff like that. Yeah. So would you say that Irish um, cuisine, is it more from what the peasants were eating or was it, say, maybe what the landed gentry were eating? Um, I would actually, I would probably say it's both. I mean, sometimes what happens is, particularly when you talk about cuisine and, say, we talk about French cuisine or... Um, Chinese cuisine Um, I think like really the idea of defining cuisine is is very much a recent thing in the last couple of hundred years um, in terms of like the uh, the nation state and countries forming Um, and so I think sometimes what happens when you try and think about Irish cuisine is that during that time say in the 19th century we had an awful famine we had all all sorts of um, other issues and during that time that was when other countries like the French the Spanish the Italians the Germans were building up this kind of uh, cultural connection with um, uh, with food and like I always I try and think about food in 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 terms of kind of the long historical approach and as you said in the book I go all the way back to 10,000 years ago um, and people have been in Ireland at least 10,000 years, maybe a little bit longer. And we've been eating because um, as, uh, um, as uh, I suppose, as you know, like if there's people, you have to eat. And yeah. so and often all that period of time before we started talking about cuisine doesn't get included in um, in a country's food. And so I, I try to take a much longer approach. And I think sometimes talking about um talking about food in ireland for me is more interesting than trying to define what irish food is or what irish cuisine is because we there mightn't have always been an irish cuisine but there has always been food in ireland and then we can look at different periods and say oh well like what what was the kind of what was the celtic kind of influence on food in ireland what was the viking influence what was the norman influence what was the the kind of landed gentry from the 17th 18th century what is the kind of peasant tradition and so i think that you 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 get um you get a a better understanding of what food is um taking it that way and i think it's you get the exact same understanding if you apply it backwards and go to france and then you realize god you know the kind of the our, our idea of french food is 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 very narrow and from such a small period of time like say 200 years and really people have been in france 30 or 40,000 years. I mean, Ireland, Ireland was relatively very, uh, populated very late uh, because of the, the Ice Age. So I think that in that kind of long vision of history, I think Irish food is really um, uh, wealthy and there's lots there and there's lots of uh, things to, to uncover. And I suppose that's what, uh, what inspires me. Yeah, even taking the long view from, say, certain produce, say, um, if you're looking back 10,000 years, um, seaweed would be a lot more relative than, say, the potato oh, would be in Irish cuisine. Yeah, and, and, and we're kind of, like, internationally... What called the mounds called? The, you know, the, the mounds you find all the um, Oh, the midden beds. Fishing. Yeah, Is midden, that it? loads yeah. of midden beds as well. And, and the, when, yeah, like, you have to think about um, when 10,000 years ago, when people arrived, like, there was no cows, no pigs, no sheep, no goats. 
and all these things, no potatoes, all these things that we kind of like are iconically Irish, like particularly beef and potatoes. And then you've got, like, you don't have them for, like, well, you don't have the potato for, like, 8,000 years. You've got, yeah. like, beef maybe after three or four. But mm-hmm. if you can try and imagine Irish food for 3,000 years being without those things. And, and that's sometimes what inspires us in an ear. It's like you look at shellfish, you look yeah. at fish, you look at seaweed, you look at wild herbs. All these things that maybe we don't have a lot of documentary evidence because nobody was writing things down. Mm-hmm. But it's still very inspirational to know like something like wild garlic has been here longer than people and i think oh that's really interesting and but maybe we have to look at the ways in which imagine the ways in which people use them because i mean the oldest the oldest recipe book in ireland is from 1666 which means there's eight and a half thousand years or nine and a half thousand nearly years of food before people there's even a recipe collection yeah and okay but you've got mentions of food going back to uh, the beginning of writing in 7th, 8th, 8th century, but saying that you've still got at least 8,000 years of people eating and not writing anything down. And that's what fascinates me, particularly around seaweed. It's like people used to live off it. Mm-hmm. And like, so what, what would they have done with it? And how would they eaten it? Would they have just eaten it raw? Would they have cooked it? Would they have put it into stews? I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to know, you know. Would there, be, would there have been uh, other kind of megafauna living on the island at the time? that they would have eaten uh, hazelnuts are a big a, a massive thing okay. um so seemingly the whole hazelnut economy thrived over europe like hazelnuts were almost a currency okay yeah uh, because they could be stored and particularly you've got you guys are down in the burn of you've course got, like, yeah all the, the, the hazels all over the place yeah. <clears throat> and that um <clears throat> and the burn is actually very interesting because all of the fauna that is um that is available in ireland uh, not all of it is everywhere, yeah. but nearly all of it is in the burn. The mm-hmm. burn is a very unique ecosystem, and oh, it's yeah. something to do with the way in which Ireland came together from two separate hemisphere, hemispheres um, and, um, and collided and made the island of Ireland. And so the bottom half of Ireland is actually from down near South America, and the top half of Ireland is from the northern hemisphere. So you get this different ecosystem. Uh, and that's why you have so much flora and fauna in the burn yeah. um, and plants that you might find in the tropics. You might find similar flowers in the burn. Mm. And, and it's because of um, it's because of that. But it's, it's a very rich history. And some of it has been uncovered. A lot of it sometimes is uncovered by archaeologists or botanists, yeah. not necessarily mm. food people. I mean, Michael Gibbon has written a lot on... Uh, on food and um, um, in, in terms of um, uh, Neolithic and, and Bronze Age and that, and he'd said people would have farmed seaweed because it's very easy to farm seaweed because because it grows on rocks. You can put the rocks all together in a line, mm-hmm. and then it will keep going, and you can keep um, uh, taking it um, and leaving the root. And so he said that uh, pre-potato, particularly coastal communities. Um, would have subsided a lot on uh, on seaweed. And then sometimes I think the most interesting thing about seaweed is that you can look at other cultures where you might have more documentation and say, well, if if they were eating seaweed in this way, um, then you'd have to assume that people in Ireland were doing it similar. Yeah. So say yeah. people in Chile, uh, seaweed goes, like they've found records of seaweed going back 15, 20,000 years yeah. of uh, people surviving on it. Um, um, and so you'd have to imagine that's what that's what brought people to, I mean, all the communities were coastal communities, you know. So you'd, you'd imagine um, with such a um, 
long history of, of interacting with that that there'll be more of attrition surrounding it say like there is in Japan yeah but not and so it, much no here. not so much and I think as well it's, it's that uh, disruption and I suppose the modern um, modern Irish history if you define it from this the last 2000 years if you want to define it in the last um, the last thousand like it's a period of like a thousand years of disruption you know yeah. and it's very easy for like stuff to get lost if you three or four generations even five generations and then course, it's gone yeah. even if you imagine say even like i so i know my grandparents and I kind of roughly know what their food culture was but i i've no idea what my gra- great grandparents and if you try yeah. and take that one beyond that mm. and then go beyond that again and then you're like going i don't actually know at all of course and so yeah. it, it's so it's very it's very easy to lose um, um, an interest in um, or a, a kind of cultural interest in what well, wild food is a good thing like I mean say yeah. even like a similar thing like elderflowers and but that that tradition is still there to, to a certain degree but you if, if you if you you can imagine that going back all the way to the Middle Ages you know and people using them because they were there and I think that that in the modern period of time uh, foraging and wild food uh gets looked upon as a kind of very in a very negative way that like if you're poor then you have to go out and get your food like it's it's very ironic that that say um i have a forager friend in the burn and she was saying that like her mom was a forager and it like it would have been she uh, looked very uh, looked upon very poorly say in the 80s where yeah. like it was kind of the if you if you in terms of your own status you um if you could go to the supermarket and buy your food, then you were you were you were well off or a better yeah. person. Mm. Whereas if you had to go pick your foods, then you were poor, and uh, there was a kind of that shame that carried with it. And then, of course, that has changed um, in the last twenty years or so. But you'd have to imagine uh, periods of that happening throughout the twentieth century in Ireland, particularly around, say, I would say around the uh, with um, people of the like traveling community or people who wouldn't have been. Uh, staying in one place mm-hmm. and the the way i suppose uh, people who were settled would have viewed them uh, as having to find their food and and that's why i says one of the reasons why um we have such a difficult relationship with shellfish because we have, again have that tension with like people having to go out and pick mussels having to go out and pick clams to feed themselves and then then being seen as kind of like dirty things um uh that you have to clean and and and, and uh, i think that that's why um when when people ask me say like as an island we're like in terms of the our fish and shellfish consumption it's really poor like yeah. we're absolutely like addicted to beef you know and, and and pork and i think it's that safety when you have a pig outside you have a mm-hmm. cow outside yeah. whereas if you go down to the beach you never know what you're gonna get yeah could, the weather could be really bad you might come back with nothing and so that's this kind of shift to farming and this kind of like relying on well this is in front of me and i own it you know and i think that that kind of seeped in because we are like we are as irish people also um obsessed with land you know and like what you own Mm -hmm. and and that doesn't really associate so much with the sea and even like even as an example um uh the, the government sold uh, a couple of years ago sold a lot of the seaweed harvesting rights to a Canadian company because they thought nobody wanted them oh, wow. and, and then a lot of Connemara um, 
seaweed gatherers had to say no that's like we we use this this is our like this is a fourth generation piece of land and we actually harvest seaweed here and there was so they actually thought you know what this is a resource that nobody wants maybe we'll just give it to the canadians yeah and yeah. Uh, and so the attitudes like that and at similar attitudes like where in relation to our fish um, and when we joined the EU, it was kind of like, well, sure, look, we don't really want it. Sure, why not? One of the Spanish, the French take it. <laughs> and not really kind of actually going to talk to anyone and saying, sure, we'd be grand. We'll, um, we'll just grow beef. We'll just have cows everywhere. And sure, look, the fish isn't that important, you know? Yeah. I know you spoke about previously that you'd, you'd be a fan of, say, a food minister. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I think, I, and, and my friend, Jacinta Dalton, who works up at the ATU, she, she goes around to different... Um, panels around the world and I'm always surprised when you see other countries that they have a minister for food or it's a very central importance and then like when you ask the question I mean why don't we put food more on the map in Ireland and why can't we seem to compete on an international level and I think it's because the, <clears throat> the the ministry of food in Ireland is wrapped up in I think tourism the Gael talk maybe sport like you throw in about five other things. And I, yeah. I think that if we don't have um, a minister with a, with a, a separate agenda that, that about food as a, as a cultural experience, I think for us, particularly at a governmental level, food is still wrapped up in agriculture. And so the minister of agriculture is really important. And that's, but for me, that's like food as production. It's not food as culture. It's like food is buying and selling. And yes, we can we, we, we thrive on creating wonderful beef and exporting that beef, but we need a, a minister of culture. And then we need like a food officer. In this, it's very much the same way we have an arts officer. Like we have an arts officer in every county now, yeah. and that took a long time to get. Mm -hmm. And we have that now. And I think it's really good because loads of artists, I mean, rely on it. And I think that having a food minister and then food officers where you can try and build food experiences and help food communities i think until until we do that we're still going to just have um like pockets of oh the food's really great in galway the food's really great in kinsale the food's really great here and what about this this um this uh, this town or okay maybe the food isn't great there anymore because i mean restaurants have cycles you know and yeah. say the, the cycles that kinsale has gone through um uh, Cork has gone through Galway is in that cycle I mean I came to Galway in 99 there wasn't as many restaurants as now and now there's yeah. loads but like you can if you take out the 10 or 15 key players in food in Galway and say they all retired like there isn't there isn't a kind of uh, like a a, um, a, a a legacy project in the works you know it's just people doing stuff and mm. the same happens with music you might have great music in an area and then that goes away because they stop playing music and then it yeah. moves to another area. I noticed Galway is starting to get an, uh, a great um, original music scene yes. at the moment, which is fantastic to see, you know. For years it was just cover cover bands, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's and I think you have to, if, if you don't work on it in a, in a very conscious way, you're always just left to stuff happening by accident. And, mm -hmm. and that's what yeah. pretty much what happened with me moving to Galway, say with other chefs like... Jess Murphy and Enda McAvoy, we all kind of of the same age, opened restaurants at the same time in Galway. We all worked together. You had Sheridans, you had Nemo's. You had you had a, a culture brewing yeah. and then it kind of exploded. And now you have Hansenberger, the Dobros, you've got mm -hmm. like King's Head. You've got loads of different food offerings um, in, in at loads of different levels. Yeah. And But it's very easy just for all that to go because... Yeah. 
like COVID happens and then you lose a few and then you get oh, yeah. another crisis and you lose a few and then so I think I think we need to do more to protect uh, protect food in the same way that we have like um, the, the Arts Council and, and, and again of course it, it's not perfect but at least there's something there for people to uh, um, apply to whereas if you want to start a food business you pretty much you're on your own and, and, and it's a very precarious um, business um, and uh, uh, I think one in one in three don't make it and so it's not like you're going to get money from the bank to do it or money from the, the government and I think we need to start trying to invest a little bit more in food um, uh, to uh, to make our food culture better you know and um, you're in Galway since like the uh, the mid night or mid noughties you're originally from Dublin uh, originally raised from in Dublin raised the minutes Okay. Where I went to school in Kilcock. I'm very mixed, uh, mixed, mixed, uh, mixed background, mixed race. Uh, I can never define um, where, you're from. Wh- where I'm from. I, 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 particularly when the, the, if there's GA on, I'm just like I, I actually just gave. I was like I don't know. I was like I'll just wherever if it's if I'm in Galway, then I'll cheer for Galway. And it's yeah. like I spent three years in Cork as well. And so, um, but I suppose we <clears throat> we always came back to. Um, to Galway, um, uh, and I think particularly from a cultural point of view. I mean, Galway, like, has an amazing cultural. Um, like, I think it's a cultural heavyweight in terms of Ireland for the the amount of people here and what goes on in terms of theatre, arts, music, food. Uh, there's just a great energy, and so w- when we when we came to Galway, say in the late nineties, then travelled a bit, moved back, and we settled here two thousand and five. Like it's just, I think it has it has energy. I think the university brings some of that energy with constantly new people coming. I think tourism. Uh, I think I think one of the jokes I made once about like why why I moved to Galway was that you hardly ever met someone from Galway. You were always meeting people yeah. from everywhere else. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then I was like, and then I said, why did you leave Cork? And it was like there was too many Cork people. <laughs> yeah. uh, I couldn't find enough people not from Cork. And I, that's what I love about Galway, where mm. you wander the road, you meet Spanish people, French people, yeah, like Japanese people, Italian people, and and it's a wonderful mix where you have that local people mixed with. Uh, an international thing and I think that's what keeps it really fresh you know and you get musicians from all around like Chinese guys playing the fiddle and different yeah. you know where you're just going like you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't make it up if it was in a book you know oh, absolutely always amazing for that um, so at the moment you have uh, an air that we're sitting in here and you have Kava yeah. and I know an air got a Michelin star in 2011 yeah. um, a massive achievement um, and wonderful for the city to finally have a Michelin star um, I know you speak in previously about the stress of achieving it and then maintaining it yes uh, and that the business of an air was kind of based on having that michelin star because that's what gets the tourists through the yeah door. so it's, it's it's almost like a like would you say it's a vicious circle or it's it's it is a kind of um it's a little bit paradoxical like in the sense that like I don't think the restaurant would have survived without getting a Michelin star like it okay. got a Michelin star and yeah. then it kind of brought recognition to it then you have an international dimension but when you have an international dimension then I think you lose um, the locals to a certain degree because then they're afraid going God it's a very posh restaurant and mm-hmm. that and you're going it's not a posh restaurant at all I mean it's uh, it's it's, a, uh, it's it's a different restaurant but at the same time I always I think it's funny that all the locals go to Cava because they love Spanish food. Then you say, "Do you want to try any Irish food?" And they're all like, "I ah, know you're all right." Uh, we, 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 we. That's yeah. It's it sounds a bit grey and cold. And, and then we have sometimes 100% Americans looking yeah. for Irish food, looking for the roots of it, looking for all of these course, things. Yeah. And 
and actually one of the one of the benefits of covid um uh, we were closed for 18 months in an year because there was no tourists i didn't know if there was any point opening we did online cooking classes boxes and all sorts of things but one of the benefits was the summer of staycation the where people couldn't leave we had so many irish people in the restaurant who had never been and we were 10 years old yeah and they were being introduced to an ear going wow i never knew this was here and i think that that has that that it has helped us get more irish people in because i think sometimes we we fail to see i think it's the same with music it's the same with in the arts like we fail to see what we have in front of us and we're always going uh we're always leaving the country to get to get what we actually have in the country you know we're traveling leaving the country to go to an irish pub in another country that's what i mean or you're traveling to 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 see a like an irish band somewhere else and you're like on why aren't we kind of nurturing this talent more and you know it's we're 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 uh, we're a small island but certainly um i think um uh the michelin stars is a kind of double-edged sword like it's it's great to have it it brings a lot of pressure with it in terms of maintaining a certain standard uh, yeah. internationally. Um, and I, I always say to people that, I mean, having, having a regular restaurant like Cava is like playing in the league. You know, you can you win some, you lose some, you draw some. And um, having, a, having a Michelin star is like playing in the Champions League final every night. Okay. You have to win. Yeah. You just don't have another option. Like you don't, if you lose, you lose, you lose big. Mm-hmm. And like, and that's the same for every single guest. When you come in here, and of course we're we're in the restaurant now, and there's boxes everywhere. Like all this place has to be set up for six o'clock, and it has to look immaculate. Yeah, and it has to look the same way every day. And it's like that's that 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 when and when you multiply that pressure over ten years, you know it has that um, uh, uh, draining effect. Certainly, and that's why I think Michelin's our restaurants have a a certain life cycle as well. You know, it's. Uh, and there's uh, two two Michelin star restaurants next year, um, uh, Ichigo Ichi in Cork. Who's going? He's actually going back to a casual experience, and same with the uh, Epic in Belfast. He's he's uh, like to a, I mean to a certain degree you can't really give back your Michelin star, but you can change the restaurant so you don't get it the following year. So you could okay. they're changing it to a more casual, less expensive concept because. Again, I mean, five, seven years, it's like, it's, it takes its toll and you want, sometimes when I go over to Cava, it's the most relaxing thing in the world because you don't, I don't have to worry if all the, cha- if all the chairs are straight or is there all the tables. Like, it's just, you can just chill out a bit more. It's like yeah. a little bit more like being at home, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and it's not that I don't love what we do in a near, but it does, um, uh, that whole kind of pressurized environment does, um, uh, everyone has to be on the the top of their game all the time. Um, are you aware when, say, the judging panel comes around? Or like some, they give sometimes, you a heads up? sometimes the, you are, you are. Sometimes you're not. I mean, generally speaking, it's always someone from England because we're 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 in with the English guide. It's uh, I always joke that if it's a table of one with a British mobile phone number, that sounds off alarm bells. So yeah. if you ever want to go anywhere uh, uh, in Dublin to a Michelin star restaurant, a table of one with a British mobile phone number and no matter right. what way you look, they'll they'll might think you're the Michelin inspector. Um, and uh, but sometimes they go in twos, and sometimes more. Mm-hmm. So like sometimes they're very open, and sometimes they're not. And sometimes they're kind of depending on the inspector, they're very they'll chat to you, and sometimes yeah. they're very kind of poker game, deadpan. Mm-hmm. Won't even say yeah, like won't even say they liked it or not. It'd be like yeah. So it's very uh, you do, you you find that every year, and that's the 
the excitement, but it's also the um, uh, the tragedy is that if you lose your star, you find out when everyone else finds out. Like yeah. you don't get previous mm-hmm. notice. You, you, Do you get you, multiple inspectors coming in? Yeah, and sometimes you will. Yeah, and if you're going between one to two or two to three, or if you're going down from three to two. Yeah, it'll be multiple visits. Like okay. So they won't, you never get assessed just on one. It's kind of okay. aggregated okay. over the year. Um, and that's why sometimes you don't know. Sometimes they're into two. Sometimes they're, yeah, they're very incognito. And you, that's why you have to make sure um, you give the same. It's, I think for me, it's all about consistency. Yeah. And so you have to give the same experience to everyone, the same level of food. Um, and then hopefully you, you do the job and mm-hmm. you uh, you keep it going. And, um, but look, it's been great. It's been great. Uh, it's like what twelve years, um, uh, eleven or twelve years since since we got it. And um, I think it's been great for Galway in the sense that it raises the bar for everyone, mm-hmm. and that that are a small restaurant with no like independent investors or anything can achieve that. You know, it it, it does. It costs a lot of money as well because you mm-hmm. have more staff. You have more expensive wine you have more exp- like you, you just have more and more expense yeah. and um a lot of these places um around the world particularly when you go to two to three star level they all have an investors and um uh, and it's it's um uh, i suppose it's a credit to us that uh, it's just us, you know, and we keep it I going. I assume you could put your own thing into it more so than with an investor. I, I would assume an investor would sort of have more of an influence on yeah, what the 100%, thing. Yeah, Yeah, in terms of the changes we make or uh, what we charge or like we're not like we're not we're we're, we're not under pressure to like um, to um, make money necessarily. Like we're yeah. under like what we need to do is keep everything on an even keel. Yeah. But we're not like it's not profit driven or anything like that so it's at least yeah that's what happens with a lot of businesses particularly in the states when they open places to get stars to make money and then yeah. it doesn't work and then all of a sudden it collapses and you'll see that all over the place within five years a restaurant opens loads of money goes in they spend two million euro next thing you know a little bit of trouble uh, awards haven't they, they didn't get awards or whatever happened michelin haven't given them a star and then the whole thing falls apart and and it, it, this that this cycle goes on and on particularly in england and um um and the states i think sometimes when people are chasing stars yeah and the 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 the, the thing is that oh yes you need a lot of money to get a two or three star usually uh you can't buy them like you can't just put in the most expensive cutlery and get the uh, the most expensive tables and serve yeah. them the most expensive caviar that it doesn't add up like the restaurant as a whole has to make sense and i think that that's what we try and do like of course yes the food is really important and we're focused on irish food but the drinks are important the staff are important our personality is important because mm-hmm. like there's plenty of times when i when i eat around the world and you go for a, a great ex, uh, a michelin star and uh, experience and the food is grand but the restaurant itself doesn't necessarily have any personality you don't really talk to anyone mm-hmm. you eat the food you drink the wine you leave and you go oh, do you know i could take it or leave it it's and so i always say to the guys the most important thing for us is that we uh, communicate some so, uh, our personality yeah and I, so when I, the nights that i'm working um uh, i always uh, um, uh, um make sure that i say goodbye to every single person 
you know and particularly I think it's so important that and it's I think it's that Irish hospitality yeah where you go hi guys uh, where are you from oh we're from the states oh, what part of the states from oh that's really nice and what are you doing in Ireland oh we're just traveling around a bit and they say oh we're going down to Dingle oh, I've got a friend in Dingle has got a restaurant you should pop into him that kind of I just think that we, we excel at that in Ireland and that could be it's, a, it's not only about food it could be about music it could be about like a, like a pub culture going oh no check this pub out in Westport it's really nice or oh you're going up to Donegal there's a really great scene uh, uh, some great scenery and I think that that's what we do so well and we just have to wrap that more around our food um, because when you go to France and Spain sometimes they have the best food the best wine no one uh, you, you honestly you're just a number you're just a number you go in you eat you leave there hasn't been any did I even uh, I didn't even know my waiter's name or where he's from and I think that's we're always trying to yeah. communicate that to people and that's the same in, in uh, when we have Irish people in the restaurant I'm always trying to connect with people and like oh, what brought you to the restaurant and what did you enjoy and what well it, it was a court because we served 23 courses and like people are going i didn't like that one and you go well, that's all right like i mean you're not going it's 23 things like yeah. you're not it, maybe you're not gone on oysters but you tried an oyster for the first time and yeah. so it, it's about a, a food experience um and it's about trying to capture that uh that uh, capture the landscape through food and i always say that's the, it's more the west of ireland and it could be from the Kerry to Donegal sometimes where the, the food is coming from. Like we're a very small island, you know. Uh, that's kind of the ethos behind the restaurant, <coughs> isn't it? I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. Terroir. Terroir, yeah, yeah. yeah 100%. And you could say Merroir as well, for the they say, for the, the ocean. But definitely, it's a trying, to, trying to capture the terroir of the west of Ireland. And it's not always... Of course, we get stuff from all over Ireland because um, not everything grows in the west of Ireland. Say, rapeseed oil predominantly grows in the east because they're, 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 it's usually less wet and it's usually a little bit more sunny um, and so it is an all-Ireland project uh, with a focus on the West to try and um, shine a light on that and I think that that's another thing that I find really interesting when I go to other countries um, I, I want to taste what they're doing you know and um, and, and what, what's unique to those places you know um, and I think that's what makes a, that's what makes it exciting absolutely and even <clears throat> I know you're talking about their kind of community and bringing people into the restaurant and uh, showing an interest and that kind of uh, feeds into the food network slash festival Blast uh, Um so what's the what was the thinking behind yeah that? I mean the thinking behind that was we we ran the food festival for about eight years and it was great and it happened every Easter but 80 to 100,000 people came uh, to to Galway and eventually I suppose it just we just ran out of steam I mean there was eight of us on a kind of voluntary committee just kind of doing it in between everything else and and I suppose it's it's important to note that nearly most festivals in Ireland are run that way it's just run by people who enjoy putting things together for other people and uh, eventually what happens you run out of steam and people start to drop off and then COVID happened and then it just all disappeared and yeah. I suppose I felt that we were it was I suppose I felt after COVID that it's very easy just to, to lose everything that you've built up over 10 years in, in the space of a couple of years and I was like how do we how do we continue the legacy of the food festival without necessarily 
putting on massive village and needing a budget of a hundred grand and all this and, and then so I, I looked at other cities and what they were doing and ironically cities that were inspired by Galway uh, probably 10 years ago like Derry and uh, other other places and they had uh, this these networks set up and I was thinking do you know what maybe we could do something like that and have a network of of, of food places like restaurants and cafes and bars uh, hotels and then uh, food producers and bring them all together under one website and we called it Blasnag Oliva or Taste of Galway and it's not only about the people who join the network um, uh, communicating with each other it's also about putting on events in, in May and November to showcase Galway and it's it's um, it's not I'd love to get back to a place where we can put on a festival and have a big massive village but it's it's for me it's a way of maintaining um, the food community in a in a in a less expensive way. I mean, we we made the I think to join it as a food producer, it's like sixty five euro. Like to when we did the food festival, to to come on board for the weekend was like four hundred fifty euro because okay. it cost so much money mm. to put the village on. It just like it was astronomical. Um, and I was like, we can't just jump back to that because we're in an energy crisis where yeah. we have like so many things. So we can't go. I think to join for a restaurant is is like a hundred euro a year or something. So it's it's it, the idea is to try and keep the price low so we get a build a community and then maybe we'll get back to okay yeah putting on events on a much larger level but it's uh, it's just that um we need uh, to think of um i mean especially myself you need i think since covid um uh i i'm, I'm constantly thinking about well what's like what's the legacy of of an ear what's the legacy of the Galway Food Festival, what's the legacy of, of Blossom and Because I, I think that you realise that like the people who are involved in food do it for fifteen or twenty years and then they're gone. And then like and then it's like and then it's like that restaurant's gone. And then yeah. there is and then maybe something fills in, maybe something doesn't. And so I think for me now it's very important to try and nurture uh, younger chefs, uh, younger food producers, uh, younger food businesses and try and assist them and because like I'm 45 now, we're open 15 years, uh, say we opened Cava 15 years ago, um, and we've just signed a new lease for 10 years in an year, but then I'll be 55. So it, it's just, you, you've got to put in perspective, you know, um, the, um, the, the, the length of time a restaurant can survive. And it's really important to put in markers in place so that it can survive without you or that the the Blasnagalieva can do that as well and so that's I suppose what we're trying to do is to try and create things that will work uh, independently and that will uh, that will grow in their own way okay well, JP thanks so much for joining us thank Absolute you JP pleasure. that was great the next festival just for Blasnagalieva uh, we just had an event in November so next May and so we kind of tied it in with the Celtic calendar so we do Blasnagalieva and then Blasna Sound. So we'll have a, another event on in May. But again, if anyone is in the wider Galway area, the whole county, um, you can have a look on uh, Blasna Galliva or a taste, of, a taste of Galway. Just put them in. You can have a look at the website. Um, uh, Anna, who is our uh, wonderful administrator, Anna King, uh, is constantly on Instagram, topping up, sharing mm-hmm. different food events and that. And so you can reach out to her. And we, we'll, we'll constantly be doing things. And again, it's just a, it's, it's a really good vehicle to keep food moving you know because you, you have a site there and you just keep dropping 
different projects into it and then that and all of a sudden then you have stuff going on all year yeah and uh, that you didn't have before and i think we have so much happening you just kind of have to shine a light on it you know yeah, yeah. and food on the edge is back and going food on the edge is back and going next october um i also hand i can't think of the dates it's the it's always the third week of october um, we still have no venue we'll find a venue soon I did have a venue the first year about a month out and we still managed it so uh, yeah we, we'll, we, we were in the university for two years uh, previous to COVID and then we were in the town hall in the black box and in the Spiegel tent so look I'd love to bring a uh, Spiegel tent back to Galway they're, they're not the, the cheapest thing in the world they come from Holland flat packed and they have to be built so um, uh, and where I put it I do not know but anyway mm. I'll, um, I'll, I'll think of these things you know It'll come together. I know, I know. Listen, thank you very much, guys. No problem. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, Alright, Richie. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye.